Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Hello, Seb. Seb and I today spend the entire episode talking about uh, Manchester United. Now, of course, this is after Tottenham's visit to Old Trafford in which they won 6-1, which was an astonishing game of football, uh, probably for all the wrong reasons if you are a United supporter and for many of the right ones if you are a Tottenham supporter. Funny how that works, isn't it? Uh, and uh, we'll also be talking about uh, the club's ability, stroke inability uh, in recruitment in the transfer window. Of course, the, the deadline was uh, was a couple of days ago now, and um, no Jadon Sancho, which we learn having read uh, an amazing piece by The Athletic, by uh, Laurie Whitwell, I think David Ornstein, and some contributions from Raphael Honigstein as well. We learn so much about uh, what they describe as, you know, the failure to secure Jadon Sancho. I was cringing reading it. Uh, and so was Seb, I think. So we, we talk about that quite a lot in today's episode. If you would like to read it, and I highly, highly encourage you to do so, you should visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Uh, that is theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Uh, there you can get a £1 introductory offer uh, to join The Athletic on a monthly basis. Um, which is, you know, amazing value for for the quality of the content that you're going to get. But whatever you do, make sure you read this piece because it's hilarious. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about that now. Uh, so uh, I will leave you in the uh, the cool hands and the warm embrace of myself and Sebastian Stafford Bloor. Okay, where else to begin but Manchester United? Of course, uh, humiliated over the weekend, uh, 6-1 by Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, It seemed that uh, Jose Mourinho very much enjoyed that. And uh, I also enjoyed Adam Crafton's tweet noting how he'd done a return pat on the head. So, you know, there's a bit of extra uh, drama a sort of subplot for us there to, to enjoy too. Um, but of course, the football is what we're here to talk about. And uh, Tottenham were absolutely devastating. I, in a way, I don't really want to take uh, away from them by talking about how bad Manchester United were because uh, Tottenham were just unbelievably good, uh, particularly when you recall the first game of the season against Everton, Seb. We talked about it at length on this podcast. I believe I described them as fucking terrible in that game. I cannot believe the uh, the, the turnaround to perf- the performances like they're recently putting in, particularly against Manchester United. Yeah, I think that's right, Joe. I mean, it's really interesting. I think the turnaround, you can almost trace exactly back to that little bit of skill that Tangi and Dombele did in the St. Mary Centre Circle, Yeah, which uh, which set Son Heung-min away for a, a, an equalising goal. And ever since then, the improvement's been remarkable. I would, um, I mean, I, I know you'd expect me to kind of to, to sing all the, you know, sing Tottenham's praises, but I would just be a little bit reserved because I actually, I thought Tottenham were very, very good. I thought Manchester United were absolutely clownish. 
Honestly, yeah, I I, sure. um, I want to celebrate the Tottenham performance. Um, fabulous week for Jose Mourinho, wonderful achievement, um, you know, and also symbolically just a wonderful occasion for fans not to, to be there, of course, but to to watch a result like that in a place like that. It's very, very important. A lot of um, very disappointing Tottenham afternoons have happened at Old Trafford. Nevertheless, it's, it's really difficult to look beyond the comedy that Tottenham played around. It was, you, you know, you know what I compare it to. You know, when you see a really great goal, like a, a thirty-yarder, uh, it goes in off the top, uh, off the bottom of the crossbar or something. Yeah. The the it's it's the equivalent of a goalkeeper having a really rubbish touch, which ruins the aesthetic of it. That's what that game was to me. I think. <laughs> okay. Do you know what it was to me? I, I feel like I've been in situations like this before, <laughs> maybe on the odd date, uh, or or just at a kind of family party or something, where I've started poorly. Uh, lost confidence and by means of trying to regain confidence I've just dug deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into a sort of anxiety spiral uh, at a you family know, party out of oh god at most family parties yeah, uh, yeah, I mean yeah. you know in my in my elder years Seb I've learned how to take a deep breath calm down and you know just be normal for a bit so as to not uh, increase the uh, the pressure on myself uh, but goodness me in my in my in my olden days I really would, you know, win the award every time for, um, you know, stupidest fool. It just felt like one of those occasions. It felt like when I watched the beginning of the game, Manchester United, and this is going to sound like, a, you know, a cl- clutching to straws, but from the kickoff up to the penalty, they just looked sharp. They looked like really up for it. They looked like they were going to go very fast. The first thing I noticed was that, you know, the ball is played back by, I think, Fernandez at the centre circle to, to Matic. Two options out left as he turns. Luke Shaw is one of them. Marcus Rashford is the other, who's in a slightly more condensed area and who will be under more pressure if he receives the ball. It's a more difficult pass to play. Matic zips the pass straight into him and Rashford runs down the wing. And I think, wow, OK, they're, they're up for it. This is a strong start. Uh, that's not passive. That's not, you know, slow paced. Eventually, of course, the ball comes to uh, Martial and there's a there's a, a crazy tackle which leads to the penalty. Uh, and I thought, hey, lads, it is Tottenham. It's going to be one of those days... Uh, I couldn't have been more wrong. And I think the surprise really was was how quickly it turned around. So if I think I'm right in saying that by seven minutes, Tottenham had scored two goals, both of which, you know, were just seemed to be a comedy of errors by uh, United defence and also, you know, a lack of a lack of shielding in front of them as well. Uh, the the second is the was it the second or the first, the, the Harry Kane free kick, Seb? It was the second, Joe. The second seems perhaps the the least forgivable of the two. I mean, the first was just kind of, a, you know, a bunch of poor panicking headers by Manchester United defenders left in a position, you know, that, that made them vulnerable. And also um, Harry Maguire seeming to pull Luke Shaw out of the way of defending, which didn't really seem to make any sense to let, me. Let, me. let me ask you a question about that quickly. Um, have you ever seen a defender commit more mistakes in a single phase of play than that? I don't think I have, no. And, and I, I, I think a com- the combination of, of Maguire and Shaw just lost confidence as the game went on. Um, you know, they were responsible for the Sun goal that was sort of chipped over from the front post. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't, the positionally, they were poor. When when he pulled him over, I mean, I, I do think that if Harry, if Harry Maguire hadn't been involved, hadn't rushed over, lacking presumably lacking confidence in his teammate to, to clear that, that Luke Shaw probably would have cleared for the, for the, for the first goal. Uh, but Harry Maguire went over and, and pulled him down <laughs> and literally left the space for the goal. I, I don't understand what the, you know, short of I don't trust my teammate, 
I don't yeah. know what the yeah. thinking is there. Uh, and maybe it's just a panicked head. That's before the first goal has even gone in. So I don't understand how you begin a game as panicked as that, particularly when you're 1-0 one, one up. The, should, should we talk about the red card quickly? Uh, just before that, I, I mean, I'm really interested by that sequence you mentioned, the quick turnaround, because I think it it uh, it involves a, a remarkable mental collapse, actually, because like you said, the, the penalty gets awarded after, I think, 34, 33 seconds. Yeah. And... Everybody watching the game, including you know any Man United fans, Tottenham fans, even probably some of the players playing in the game would have thought, right, we know exactly how this game is going to end because we've yeah. seen this so many times before. And then within another six minutes, they're behind. And they're behind as a result of one mental error for the second goal, uh, for, for the second Tottenham goal, and one meltdown almost, comedy sequence for the first. And it's it, it to me. It's very hard to avoid that or to ignore that as a kind of a description of Manchester United's mental state. I mean, I know we read too much into these things, but that's. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that from United at Old Trafford. No, I mean it did seem particularly unique, and and also I, I'm sure it is a coincidence. I, I don't mean to suggest any foul play at all, but I, I felt like uh, you know. The, the 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 coincidence there being that it happened that you know the, the final game before the deadline day of the transfer window we've of course yeah. like heard people even from the dressing room like Luke Shaw coming out and saying that you know they're expecting that the club are going to support them with 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 more depth in the team the odd news all summer I suppose which I don't think I've really really cl- clicked before now so I'm g- g- as guilty of it as anybody else who didn't uh, that you know the reality is sure everyone's talking about Jaden Sancho. Um, and and other forwards and obviously Edinson Cavani has come in uh, and 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 Alex Alex Tellez as a defender but really defense is the area <laughs> that needed strengthening for for obvious reasons uh, which couldn't be clearer after after the Tottenham game and uh, you know the talk prior to to the window was perhaps a centre back partner for Harry Maguire I. I the fact that Harry Maguire cost eighty million pounds, I really feel sorry for him. I, I honestly do. I think that you know there was obviously an inflated figure at the time. It serves as a, as as part of the fact that you know Manchester United were were part of this deal. Therefore, it is an inflated price, as it would be with any top six club. Perhaps even more so because uh, other teams are very aware of how Manchester United like to operate in the transfer market. I.e., they like to be taken advantage of and uh, spend more money than they need to at the end of the window, which we've probably seen again this summer. Um, and I, 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 I think it's going to negatively impact him. I really do. I think you know, there's, there's one thing is the pressure of being the captain of, the, of that team, uh, the leader of, of what that team currently is, with all the expectation, uh, despite you know what's happening at the executive level and what's happening at board level. But you must take exceptional resolve and strength of character to come back from not just a performance like that, but also what happened to him when he was on holiday, right? Oh, absolutely. It was also, I mean, there are very few players who have experience of being in that kind of story and receiving that kind of exposure. And also one of the important things is that with that kind of situation, when the police is involved, you don't have the normal right of reply because it's it's an investigation. You're not allowed to. Um, and so I suppose from a mental perspective, Harry, Harry Maguire had gone through the summer without really feeling like he's had any kind of break because he's had the examination of the season and he's gone straight back during what's supposed to be kind of a layoff. He's gone straight back to the front page. It's going to be very, very hard. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I think so. So and, you know, I do I, I do feel sorry for him as I would any defender um, that was that was subject to that kind of 
<laughs> I mean, should we call it a drilling? Uh, let's talk about that piece that, that was uh, that was published written by The Athletic, written by uh, Laurie Whitwell, David Ornstein, and uh, some contributions from Raphael Honigstein as well, which talks um, about, I, th- I believe it's called The Failed Pursuit of Jaden Sancho. I knew it was bad, uh, and I'd heard some of the journalists <laughs> yeah. talking about it in the last couple of days. I had no idea how bad it was. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable to read the details of this piece. The main one for me... Uh, you know, the main offender being that United's first contract offer to Sancho would pay him less money than he could make in his current position, which just seems astonishing to me that the club would ever even do that. And I appreciate that the details are related to incentives and bonuses, etc. But it, it's it's going to be clear to, to United uh, how much money he could possibly make and to offer him less as a result of what other players in their team make. I, I just cannot understand the thinking behind that. I, I also think, you know, there were rumours um, flying around this summer that if United weren't able to get the deal done this summer, that, uh, you know, perhaps perhaps it would be more difficult uh, in, in, in future transfer windows. The expectation there was always that, well, other clubs might have more money, other clubs might come in for him and he might have interest elsewhere. The, the potential reality now uh, is that uh, he reportedly feels um, undervalued by the bids that United did make, which didn't ever come anywhere near what Dortmund said uh, the the price would have to be, and also were obviously absolutely nowhere near the deadline that Dortmund uh, <laughs> said up front would be the deadline. So the player uh, now feels kind of dejected, uh, uh, you know, reportedly as a result of the way that Manchester United conducted themselves. Even if they were to to, to plump up the money in January or, or, or next summer, there may be interest from other clubs, there may be competition, and also there's a good chance that Perhaps he doesn't actually want to play for the club now because of the way that that he felt treated uh, this summer. Reading through Seb, can you you know can you imagine a worse operation? I think that was one of the the, the details which struck uh, which stays with me now. The other is there's a line in there, it's a paragraph in there about how essentially uh, we would, we don't want to give away too much because we want people to actually go and read it, but. About, about how essentially Manchester United were kind of expecting some kind of COVID discount. Yeah. Basically, it was a, you know, Dortmund were, uh, for all intents and purposes, very clear about their valuation from a very early point. And Manchester United were disappointed that sort of the economic circumstances around Europe and the world weren't taken into account. And you just think, I can't sort of rationalise that uh, no. that lack of common sense. Because if you're, if you're a Dortmund, you've got probably arguably um, the most saleable asset in European football at the moment. Um, probably the most you know, valuable player that could conceivably be transferred. Why would you, um, faced with a, um, you know, a, a negotiation, a negotiator who is um, insistent on lowballing you, why would you not say, this is my price and if you don't meet it, we'll go into next summer when Real Madrid will probably be back in the market. Manchester City might be back in the market. Particularly you know, when the player doesn't want like necessarily to leave. It's clear apparently that he wasn't going to agitate to leave. He'd no, be happy to no. stay there another summer. Why would you give someone a discount when you're probably going to make more money next summer anyway I, and I keep a good player? That. Yeah, also Joe, by all accounts, Jaden Sancho uh, has a good relationship with Marcus Rashford. Uh, he was more than willing to join Manchester United. He was um, you know, excited at the prospect and, and evidently wanted to. And yet, as you said, the way this has been handled, and I, I think one of the major factors for me, the noise which has surrounded it, because it's almost been like a yeah. day by day, there's been a running commentary on it. Um, and what struck me when I, I've actually read the piece twice. I woke up very early this morning, read it, uh, went out for coffee, read it again. 
um, and I think on the second reading I thought it's amazing um, if you compare the amount of noise made with just how little Manchester United seem to have actually done during this process, actual you know mechanical progress. Um, the uh, the ratio between those two things is amazing. Uh, honestly, it's uh, it's it's quite staggering. Also, to dedicate so much time, we've had this elongated transfer window, far more opportunity than normal time wise to um, to pull off a big complicated transfer, and yet there doesn't seem to have been any progress at all. Really, uh, it's no. it's very difficult to get your head around. I mean, the other thing that the piece says is that um, Solskjaer, you know, was was sort of was was desperate for Sancho to join and had communicated that to to Ed Woodward, who I don't know what he, if he's named specifically, but it it is thought that uh, the club just didn't believe Dortmund's deadline; they just didn't take it seriously, uh, and um, were obviously surprised <laughs> later when Dortmund said, "No, no, no, we, you know." We did mean that. We weren't just we weren't just lying. Here's here's all the logic. Here's why it makes sense. By the way, if you still want Sancho, it's going to cost you more than what we originally said, uh, because otherwise it makes us look stupid. You know, like Manchester United's negotiating tactic appears to to a layman like me to have forced Dortmund into a position where they would have to up their price and not reduce it, because to reduce it or to sell at the original price would have made them look stupid. So I, I, not only is it uh, not, you know, intuitive, it, it appears to be counterintuitive, or at least that's the way that, it, that, it's, that it's played out. And I, and I think <clears throat> supporters might be forgiving, Seb, and, and, and journalists might be forgiving if this was a one-off, but it's not, is it? I mean, this is the thing, like, this is something that happens with this club every single summer, every single transfer window. And the piece also notes how United have been active on the final day of the la- now the last three windows, which is, is you know, perhaps that's, um, that's a tactic some clubs would use. You know, we've seen that happen with, uh, with, with Tottenham in the past, who appear to think that they can find value around that time. And, and with Daniel Levy, I don't think anybody would argue that that, you know, that can be a successful tactic. With Manchester United, when you look into the context, it doesn't appear to be a tactic. It appears to be, you know, I know that the, the, the common term that, that is going around is, is panic buying. It feels difficult to argue with that at the moment when Edison Cavani and a huge agent's fee is, uh, is you know, the result for a summer's work. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, also, Joe, you, you mentioned this being a, a, you know, a common theme. Exactly the same thing happened with Maguire a year ago. It's yeah. exactly the same situation. I mean, you talk about the assumption that Dortmund would back off their asking price. You know, I made the same mistake with Leicester. They sat all, all summer, they just assumed, you know, they, they were told, uh, apparently 80 million pounds beginning of the summer that's the price if you want Harry Maguire and so they spent the next I think it was about five weeks doing I'm not quite sure what but at the end of it then paying 80 million pounds again after a lot of noise and after a lot of bluster and a, if I was a um, you know a, an authority at Borussia Dortmund if I was a decision maker I think I would have been quite annoyed about the way about the way information um, leaked out I think I'd be quite irritated by the sort of the suggestion that Manchester United were winning these battles and they, you know, they were kind of, they had all this sort of antagonistic language involved in the transfer reporting whereby it was kind of, you know, you know, they're not going to back down to the Germans. I just think, I, I, I think my response to that would be, oh, fuck off, we're not going to sell them to you then. Yeah, and that's I, what, I know, that's what I'm I a layman too. <laughs> well, but it's, it's kind of, 
why would you why would you think that would create any sort of atmosphere in which a better deal could be done you know let's, think, let's think about this though right Let, let's think about this because this is clearly an issue as you say this is something that happened with Aaron Maguire last summer this is something uh, that that's um, happened this summer with Jadon Sancho is the only route out of this for Manchester United to basically refuse to buy anyone uh, over the price that they want to pay for three or four years to, to kind of reset this expectation in the market that, that if you pressure them, they'll just cough up. Because otherwise, I don't understand how you break that perception. Like, Surely that's the only thing you can do is to go after targets that you don't really want, uh, that you know will be high value, that this is quite a good strategy, particularly if you don't want them. Uh, go, you know, it's basically you say, like, we're fine. Next next summer, we're going after Kylian Mbappe. Uh, we're prepared to pay this much money. You make it known uh, when it comes back and says, no, that's that's not enough. But if you pay this, we'll have it. You say, well, piss off then. Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. And you do that four summers in a row. Uh, meanwhile, making yourself look like more of a failure, I suppose. But also re-establishing re, re the um, those boundaries, which it seems to me were just uh, shattered in the years in the immediate years after um, Ferguson left, uh, where there was a lot of confusion around recruitment. There was a, also a lot of money spent. And, you know, Manchester United looked like they were the club that would stump up whatever the asking price was because they were in such a desperate state that they needed these players. And, you know, there was a lot of pressure on them from supporters. Uh, and also, you know, the, the the final Fergie years were fallow in terms of, of transfer uh, incomings. Um, I think the biggest year that they had was where they bought Ashley Young and, and David De Gea. Well, I can't remember when that was, but certainly with the exception of Van Persie, there weren't a huge number of big transfers that happened towards, you know, in the last five, 10 years. I mean, since 2005, since the Glazers took over, let's put it that way. So obviously there's a, there's been a dearth of that. It seems like these confluence of factors has resulted in, in this, uh, this situation in which, you know, the squad is not strong enough. Uh, the squad is also, or at least the team, you know, has, um, is prone to sort of massive lapses in confidence uh, like this. They're also very aware of the idea that, you know, everyone around them thinks the squad needs to be strengthened, but that it probably won't, which doesn't leave you in a you know particularly good position. I mean, I think back to a couple of weeks ago when the Fulham chairman tweeted out saying that he was very sorry about the way that the club were defending and he was definitely going to get some more defenders. And you remember thinking like, well, how the fuck do you feel if you're a Fulham centre-back reading that, like yeah. one of five? It's not, it's hardly going to instill any confidence. Presumably you only say that if you're confident that you're going to get the player you want and with it, with Manchester United you just feel that that's never the case so maybe that's the way to to, to, to re-establish those boundaries is just to intentionally you know say no for a few years let me introduce another uh, another possibility because I, I think this is uh, in part indicative of the type of player Manchester United want to sign um, and the type of player they um they feel they need to have to sustain their their model. Because in reality, if you want to buy a Jadon Sancho, there isn't a bargain to be done. You're not going to get a fair no. price. And, yeah. and, and football reflects that over the years. If you wanted to buy Gareth Bale back in 2013, it doesn't matter who you are, you're paying a world record transfer. And yeah. Real Madrid did. Um, sometimes if you want that calibre of talent, you've just got to pay what the, whatever the, the price tag is. Well, and why wouldn't um, Dortmund ask for 147 million euros, which is what they got for that. Usman Dembele? Like, why, literally, why wouldn't they? I mean, there is, a, there is a literal precedent from the summer or two summers before for a player who arguably, you know, I suppose it's unfair to say because he's been blighted by injury, but, you know, who's arguably of the same level, perhaps more, perhaps, perhaps less, but not, not a huge deal either way. 
and it showed itself again with, with Edison Cavani. When United needed a reaction, they didn't say, "Okay, let's just um, let's look at the kind of the the uh, pool of you know twenty five year olds that we um, that we could nurture and and you know develop from maybe a kind of a top six level in the Premier League." They went for the guy with the name recognition, the billboard, um, yeah. the, the the guy who commands the enormous agent fee um, on the Who's Available Day. Well, it's on the on the Who's Available Day, and I, I appreciate they did bring in a couple of development players. Um, they uh, have Diallo, yeah, Palestri as well has joined, and and great, terrific. But my question would be, why are those kind of transfers being done on the last day? If this is a properly thought out strategy, well, I don't think it is. I mean, I think that the, the you know the, the, the piece seemed to indicate that um, you know the reason that the, the the business was done late was because they were waiting to see what they would have to spend on on Sancho. I'm uncertain whether. Whether those de- I don't know this at all, but I wonder whether those deals would have gone through. Uh, a Cavani aside, I don't I don't believe that would have. But, then, but um, the other two. Then, Joe, would have isn't gone through. the consequence? Sorry, sorry to jump across you, but isn't the consequence of that if you're if you're waiting to, if you're waiting to the last minute to see what you will or won't pay for Jaden Sancho, the end result inevitably becomes that you end up overspending on whoever you're willing you're actually able to buy, yeah. and that's exactly what's happened. Um, with all due respect to the. Um, to, to the players that have come in. I, I happen to think that Edison Cavani will do fine. Yeah. I think he's still a good player. I think he will still give a contribution. I think it's just unfortunate that he's arrived in this um, very negative context. There is still a player there. This is not them signing Bastian Schweinsteiger again. But it's just... Good it's, old Basti. Ah, wonderful player in his prime, but he was bought because of, sorry, SEO, really, I think, in sure. my opinion. It's, I mean, you know, that not, was, yeah. not, not literally, but y- y- you know what I'm getting at. It baffles me that a club of this might, size and resources still functions this way. It kind of lurches in the dark. And um, I'm going to use this to plug another uh, athletic piece. Nice little segue. I compared this to, um, we converted this article to a script actually, um, but Chelsea's, uh, Chelsea's capture of Kai Havertz. Now, supposedly that was an 18-month process full of um, you know slow negotiations, hand-holding, um, trust building, all of these kind of things, um, and eventually a um, a very expensive, very large transfer being um, completed, but one I think the football community looked at and thought, yeah, fair enough, Harvards is a super player, 80 million sounds about right, or whatever the fee actually is for him. Yeah. Um, United, everything seems a bit more reactionary, and also I had no idea until about two or three months ago that um, Harvards was a possibility for Chelsea. So for over a year... Um, Marina Granovskaya and the rest of the technical department, even before Frank Lampard arrived at the club, they'd been working in silence um, and in quote-unquote secret. And you compare and contrast that with the the great ceremony of the Manchester United transfer saga where it's kind of everyone must know, everyone must be beaten <laughs> around the head with this kind of... Oh, Wesley Schneider, man. What a... Oh, my goodness, man. <laughs> Wesley Schneider, uh, Nico Gaitan, he was another one. Oh, yeah, for a couple um, of years, yeah. For Who a couple of there? years, absolutely. Um, Benzema was there. Um, there was yeah. that that Neymar, Bale, um, Ronaldo saga. I'm I'm glad I'm not a Manchester United fan because I think this would just yeah. frustrate me to you know to no end. Well, and and I can see why because you know re- regardless of the reality and and and, uh, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the club are this, but perceptionally, particularly online. Uh, amongst you know and y- young football fans, United are a joke 
in this regard. Like, they're the punchline of these jokes now. And whether that's true or not, and whether, whether that deserves to be t- true or not, is kind of besides the point, because the court of, of public opinion has ruled, and United are a joke. And that that's... Um, when you think back to... When did Ferguson leave? 2013? Yeah. Seven years ago? It feels a lot longer now, doesn't it? If you could think back to, to, to the idea in any way of United being a joke, it's, it's just unthinkable, right? But... Year on year on year on year, despite the fact that the team just finished third, had a fantastic uh, period after the lockdown, looked like a, uh, you know, a very bright, a very exciting team. Um, and of course, have, you know, a, a, a number of, of excellent players. I don't, I don't, don't mean in, in, the, in the team sense at all. Obviously, we're talking about this after the Tottenham game, but I mean uh, at executive level, I mean in the ability to successfully recruit players or for there not to be these, these enormous leaks. And we don't know whether to blame the club for that or to blame agents or if, if, if other clubs have realised that, you know, there is a benefit to leaking. I mean, it's perfectly possible as a hypothetical that Dortmund realise a good way of trying to get them to drum up more money is to leak that this is happening and then to have them you know supporters just pile the pressure on you know it's like it's like tickling united's achilles heel uh, as you, as everyone will know on twitter every single day anytime uh, uh, anyone says anything from manchester united the first reply is like you know announce sancho or whatever sign, it's similar you know, to like announce party Calais. for arsenal yeah. yeah sign maradona do, do you know what you, one, one thing occurred to me um and this might be a really useful way of of charting Manchester United's decline, um, you know, in a, in a subjective way. I'm a Tottenham fan, and I'm I've just turned 36. So fair to say, I've seen some pretty rubbish football in my time. You know, the last decade has been terrific, by and large, but there's been some very middling stuff over the years. Uh, and um, alongside that, there have been some magnificent Manchester United teams, teams that you are actually as a as a rival fan, um, you can be nothing but jealous and envious of. Honestly, I mean, just, there's no other response. Yeah, yeah. Now, today we're recording this podcast and uh, I have watched on Sunday Tottenham score six times at Old Trafford. Um, and the day after the transfer window, I believe, you know, that Manchester United fans would be looking enviously at what Tottenham have achieved in relative terms because it's just better. Now, think about that. Think about that in the last decade, that you could have a Tottenham fan say something like that and not just be antagonistic. You know, it's a genuine yeah, it's, it's lunacy. Absolutely ridiculous. And um and yet it's 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 factual because that is what has happened. And that is a okay, Tottenham, um, big new stadium, uh lots of profit, good around the Champions League, all of these things have happened. But these are new quick developments and you know, they're not even necessarily permanent stadium aside yet. And yet this is the state of order at the moment. And that's ridiculous. How how can you how can you how can you um, squander such an advantage? Uh, <laughs> it's it's extraordinary that you can kind of have a situation yeah. where someone like me feels like my club has parity with this commercial juggernaut that honestly just trod us into the ground season after season after season, and it was just effortless. Um, and yet here we are, and it, that's uh, there, there. There's no there's no harsher criticism than that. I don't think. I just don't understand how a football team gets itself into this position from the position that it was in before. It's, it, 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 it feels like it's so bad that you would have, have had to intentionally sabotage, you know, which perhaps a leveraged buyout is an intentional sabotage. Who knows? <laughs> it's not normally a financial tool used to buy football clubs, is it? Uh, but I don't know. I imagine the supporters are, um, 
are, are upset and confused and also I, I, I don't envy the position uh, based on you know the finishing position last year I mean the response always seems to be to any Manchester United fan complaining well hold on don't complain you've got Pogba Fernandez Martial Rashford you know you've got this 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 long list of, of very good players you've spent all this money on them you know like it, 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 it does it, it does make it worse it kind of misses the point like the fact that however many hundred million pounds have been spent on defenders at Manchester United uh it's it's not it's not good enough you know it, and it's that doesn't mean like they need to spend more money that doesn't mean that they should have spent uh uh they should have spent more money or they should have brought in different players or whatever it just means there is there there just appears to be something rotten about the procedure uh which contributes at, at every level at in every department throughout the club i think it kind of brings us full circle because if you talk about paul pogba i've always seen pogba as symptom rather than cause of the situation he looks like a player that doesn't believe in what's going on around him i mean it's um and there's there's more than one player in that category um and that really i mean that more than anything else that's what showed on sunday it's just uh it just looks rotten horrible, well, it's very likely that paul pogba sorry. wouldn't be there if it weren't for coronavirus which again makes United's position with Dortmund all the more confusing because if they are aware they have an asset in their own department who potentially you know another without the without the pandemic would have gone to Real Madrid but there's obviously no way they they're gonna let him leave for a reduced rate as a result of the current financial climate why would they expect another club but to sure, do the surely, same surely Real Madrid are due a, a discount on account right, of the global exactly. economic situation yeah, exactly I, I know, I know. like let's be let's be nice to the Spanish giants that you know everyone's struggling let's let's knock 30 million off the top or whatever uh, I think the expectation was that was that he would be gone, and I think that was probably his expectation too. So I feel sorry for all the players, and you know I feel sorry for the manager, and in certain cases I feel sorry for Edward Wood because he's clearly in the wrong position. I, I, I think that's a that's a that's a seems that's my opinion, um, and I, I I can I I don't know how many new ways to to try and tell the story like that that's what's from from our perspective at tifo like that that's the thing that's kind of more frustrating than anything else is it just seems every summer like it's the same problem and it and it in it it, it it becomes coalesced with other things it becomes coalesced with other supporters thinking that that everyone at manchester united is transfer obsessed uh that they complain about not un, money not being spent whereas you know if you look at the actual figures it's all being spent that they're just complaining about nothing that people are complaining about losing that the players that they buy aren't good enough that the managers aren't good enough that you know everything in the world except you know anything actually changing at ballroom level of course a story comes out about potential interest in Pochettino the the day you know deadline day the story comes out of course it does you know why? Why wouldn't it? For a start, obviously it should from a footballing perspective. But every single time that there's a there's a day, and it's normally deadline day, that there's a day where United are due a hefty amount of criticism from their supporters. Something that gets people excited. Something that you know perhaps changes the mood just enough for it to not become a cataclysm. Just suddenly appears in a different outlet each time. Of course it does. Do you know what it reminds me of is um, every every year when. Um it would get close to a season ticket renewal date at Arsenal. The uh, transfer war chest stories would appear. Yeah. The, the <laughs> yeah. 140 million on Benzema and, you know, yeah. it's exactly the same principle. It's, it's clever bat people, you know. It's, a, it's, I don't know, probably not. It's just my, just my opinion, by the way. I don't know if that's true or not. I feel like uh, I've cheated myself out of like a, a bit of crowing about Tottenham and um, I have received a little I bit. gave you the opportunity. The very you did. No, no. I, I feel like I cheated myself it. out of it. I, I okay. just want to, because I, I've received a little bit of flack on You have one minute. 
Um, because people say, oh, you know, I, I guess you'll you'll find a way of not um, praising Jose Mourinho. Not at all. He's um, he had a brilliant week. That was um, that was one of the smartest bits of um, squad head management. No, well, head patting too, but squad management over the course of a week because um, obviously um, between uh, you know in the in the five days before beating Manchester United, um, Mourinho beat Chelsea um, with a depleted squad who were. Being asked to play for the fourth time in a week, which is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, eight, uh, four games in eight days, right? Yeah, four games in eight days in total. Um, got through their uh, Europa League qualifier on Thursday, and then went to Old Trafford and produced one of the best performances of a Tottenham team in, um, you know, in in their modern history, in their Premier League history, certainly. Um, and what's more, like the transformation in Tangi and Dumbley is remarkable. And I know there are a few negative stories floating around about Deli Ali, but at the moment, coming from where Ndombele was a year ago, and the lack of application and the seeming the, the the lack of buy-in in being at Tottenham, the the lack of interest really, I think it's probably fair to say, and his determination supposedly to leave the club, to get him to where he is now, um, the players do an awful lot of credit. He's obviously reconditioned himself and worked extremely hard over the uh, over the off season. But you have to credit Mourinho. It's like a, a two thousand and four Mourinho story. That that's the kind <laughs> of the old man of management he used to get. And I'm not equating one with the other. Um, Mourinho still should, has a long though. way to no, go. No, no, you should because you I'm know, greatly encouraged. Where's, where's he at? He's at Tottenham. When I has not. he been at an underdog club since he was at uh, he was at Chelsea? Since he was at Milan, maybe you know, in t- certainly in terms of Europe. He, like since then, he was at Real Madrid. He was at Manchester United. He was back at Chelsea, who were a juggernaut by that point. He was at places where he was expected to expected to succeed. And now he's at a team where to succeed would be, you know, particularly as a result of uh, of his own personal uh, reputation as well. To succeed would be the surprise. And what's he doing? At the moment, he's on the path to some kind of success. Let's 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 temper it a little bit. Six what one at Old Trafford is is success. <laughs> yeah, in that in in that context, absolutely. But <laughs> what I'll say is that um, you know, I I am quite negative about Mourinho. I. I I'm not fond of him. I wasn't enthused at the idea of him coming to my club, and I'm still very, very cautious about it. But if you look up what I've written about him in the past, one of the things is there must still be some of this genius in inverted commas. There he goes. In there. He's, he's getting to him. It's getting and, to him. <laughs> and all, all I've said, uh, you know, and um, I've said it more than once. I've written it for th- football three six five and four four two. If he could, if he could be quiet, if he could cut out um, the posturing, <laughs> if he could cut out the media handling. And if he could cut out some of what's proven to be self-sabotage, there is a first-class manager there. It's gone from like Uncle Harry's staying for a few months while you know his house is, is has been taken away from him, uh, to absolutely not. He's not allowed to stay. He's a terrible man. To maybe if he stops the you know if he stops the recreational heroin use <laughs> and if he stops stealing from our you know our jewelry jaw. Uh, if he can only stop selling the, sh- bit, the like, furniture, that would be in, terrific. In, in, in a know. year's time, you know, you'll be addicted to heroin as well, and you'll just be romancing under, uh, this you know, is, under uh, Uncle Harry. The um, the needle is nowhere near my arm, but what I will say is this has been his most positive week at the club, and it's it's nice, and it's a that's right. Um, it's a Flick chance that to talk needle about. Tube. It's a chance to talk about Mourinho as a football manager rather than as a hey, football personality. Wouldn't that be nice? Good. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a manager <laughs> who <laughs> actually you did believe had a bit of genius in it? Listen, we've got to stop because i got to go. And so do you. I'm um, I'm, I, I, we're going to have to redo the introduction because <laughs> at the beginning, uh, sports listeners will be interested to know that we said we'd talk about Liverpool. And we obviously haven't. So uh, we'll redo that now. And you'll never, you'll never know. 
thanks so much for listening today. Uh, I would like to indicate that at some point in the in the in the near future, I'm going to ask my friend Paul Ansorge onto the podcast, yes, who indeed. is um, a Manchester hey, United friend. podcaster, our, our friend, friend of course. Uh, from uh, uh, from no question about that, we were chat- chatting about this last night, and I was very curious to hear his uh, as a Manchester United supporter as well as podcaster his position on on, on what happened. He's a very eloquent talker. Uh, you know, you might have heard him on this show before or listened to his show. So we'll bring him on at some point in the next couple of weeks because I, I want to hear someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Sorry, Seb, uh, and sorry to myself. Uh, talk about Manchester United, uh, and also probably with a little more compassion that, 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 than than we've done today, um, or maybe not maybe not uh, and we'll do Liverpool as well at some point sorry I mean I don't suppose Liverpool supporters will be upset that we haven't talked about them because it would have been bad so I don't think it would have been the most flattering light that no. session no we should really be apologising to Aston Villa uh, and you know what we'll we'll do you soon too oh everyone wants us to do them isn't it nice uh, gotta go now <coughs> goodbye <laughs>